Happy New Year, everyone. I don't think it's too late to say that. And welcome to Christmas Past's first episode of 2021. Now, something very special has happened since the last time you heard from me. Christmas Past has hit a major milestone in surpassing 1 million downloads. That's something that the majority of podcasts will never do, let alone one about a niche topic and where 90% of the interest is confined to just six weeks out of the year. This feels like a big deal, and of course I have you to thank for it. You're the ones doing all that downloading after all, so thank you for every time you've listened to the show or recommended it to a friend or left a review. All of those things help to grow the show and the Christmas Past family. And I've got some plans and surprises in store for this year, just like I do every year, so stay subscribed and keep on listening. But now it's time for the big question for Christmas lovers this time of year. As we near the end of January, do you still have your decorations up? You know, the length of the Christmas season has always been fluid and largely arbitrary. Nowadays in America, we recognize the season as the span between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But that's only been true since the early 20th century. So when you put your decorations up and when you take them down isn't set in stone. Most people do it right around New Year's Day. In some places, it's considered bad luck to leave them up after January 6th, which marks the epiphany at the end of the 12 days of Christmas. But in times gone by, people would leave their trees up until February 2nd for the Christian celebration of Candlemas. No matter when you take your decorations down, if you put up a real Christmas tree, you've got some decisions to make about what to do with it. Leave it on the curb for trash day, donate it to a zoo, they use them in some of the animal living areas, you know, cut it up for firewood, but how about eating it? Yeah, eating it. Well, I'll bet that thought has never crossed your mind, but it has crossed the mind of Julia Georgialis. She's a baker and industrial designer and the author of How to Eat Your Christmas Tree from Hardy Grant Publishing. It's based on a culinary experiment she's been running for the past five years. I had to ask her, how did all this get started? It started as a really casual supper club just as a fun idea that me and a friend of mine thought we would do. We really wanted to, to run a dinner club around Christmas time and we were kind of thinking about waste and reuse and how could we use food to kind of educate people in a really lighthearted way about waste at Christmas time. Yes, Christmas is the most wonderful time of year, but also perhaps the most wasteful. All of that gift wrap and packaging and travel and food waste, just to name a few things, there is an environmental price that comes with all of it. And then, of course, there are all of those live Christmas trees. In fact, according to one statistic, a single year's worth of the global supply of Christmas trees, if left uncut, could offset a year's worth of the carbon footprint of the aviation industry. The whole point of the book isn't really to eat your Christmas tree. It's actually to draw attention to the fact that Christmas is super unsustainable. You know, I think when, when this tradition started of keeping Christmas trees, we were in a totally different space climate-wise. There was less people, less people cutting down trees. And I actually have stopped keeping a Christmas tree, which really surprises people. So for Julia, the project began as a fun, interesting, and tasty way to bring some awareness to the idea of sustainability around Christmas. Although, things weren't so very tasty in the beginning. The first couple of recipes we tried were disasters. There were some really, <laughs> really bad recipes. <laughs> we decided that we would try and make some Christmas tree tempered needles, which were disgusting. That was the worst thing we did. So we tried to make a Christmas tree scotch egg, and it was disgusting. <laughs> 
<laughs> it made us feel really sick. We sort of blitzed the pine needles and we wrapped it around an egg with some sausage meat. It was horrible. But of course, experimenting is part of the joy of cooking, and it wasn't long before some discoveries were made and some signature creations were born. We realized that using it as a herb, using kind of the needles as a herb, actually makes for some really nice infusions and, and different recipes. So probably the first thing we tried that worked really, really well was we made a spruce ice cream, which still remains my favorite recipe from the cookbook. Um, though you can do it with any other Christmas tree. You can do it with fir or pine. You just get a slightly different flavor. It's, it's brilliant with spruce. And it turns out that a Christmas tree makes for a surprisingly versatile addition to your holiday kitchen. So you can use the needles to cook with. So you'd use the needles in the same way that you'd use herbs um, to make infusions. And you can also turn your tree into a kind of Christmas tree ash and use that ash for cooking. And then you can also do things like smoke with your Christmas tree. So there's a recipe for smoked fish. You can also smoke tofu or um, different vegetables. I have seen um, some places selling a kind of powdered version of Christmas tree to kind of put in smoothies and things like that. I'm not really sure what that tastes like, but um, it looks good. Now, if you're like most people, you don't know whether any of this sounds appetizing or not, because you don't know what a Christmas tree tastes like. So Christmas tree doesn't taste like car air freshener. It doesn't taste like how you'd expect it to taste. So pine is quite actually quite delicate quite floral and delicate and warming and then spruce is quite orangey kind of vanilla-y and fir is quite zesty that that's kind of my take on the way those three taste if you're tempted to try any of this and i know i am it's important to be very very careful christmas tree needles are very sharp um they're a bit like fish bones so don't ever eat like a whole needle because it can you know it can get stuck some trees are treated they've got flame retardant on them they some of them are painted and some of them have been grown using lots of pesticides because you know trees are not grown for food consumption you know the best way around this is when you buy your tree just check with the person you buy it from so in the states um, you can go to realchristmastrees.org that's the national christmas tree association well of course it being the end of january it's already too late to try eating your christmas tree this year but there's always next year, so why not be prepared? How to Eat Your Christmas Tree is, as they used to say, available at fine booksellers everywhere. And of course, that includes Amazon. Or hey, maybe someone will get it for you. It's never too early to start dropping hints. There's just something about that feeling of getting what you want and feeling a bit spoiled on Christmas. Which is something that John in Seattle can relate to, as he recounts in this Christmas memory. My favorite Christmas memory is from 1978. I was in third grade and my family lived in an idyllic suburban neighborhood in Michigan. That was a good year for my family. My dad had recently been promoted and earned a great living and my mom had gotten her first job since having my oldest sister 13 years earlier. The job was at a huge toy store. Mom got a 15% discount on toys and could get them before they sold out. During Christmas break, the pile of wrapped boxes under the tree got bigger each day after my mom got home from work, and I was told there was a special present for my aunt somewhere under there, too. That year, another relative was visiting from out of state and stayed in my bedroom, so I got to sleep on the sofa bed that was in our living room. It was a huge treat for me to fall asleep on that big mattress every night looking at the Christmas tree. There was lots of snow that year, and the season was festive at home and school, and when Christmas morning finally arrived, I was spoiled. 
there was a Micronauts battlecruiser, which was a large electronic spaceship that came apart into other smaller ships and guns. There was a large matchbox car garage with ramps and an elevator. There was a two-foot-tall Godzilla Shogun warrior that breathed fake fire. And this was the first Christmas that Star Wars toys were available in stores instead of by delayed mail order. That year, I got the entire second series of figures, the large Chewbacca stuffed toy, and one of the best toys ever, the Star Wars Death Star Space Station. And like many kids in 1978, I was a huge KISS fan. I was gifted with a 70s-style jogging suit that had the Kiss Alive 2 album cover on the sweatshirt, and it was complemented with one of the greatest gifts I have ever received. That special present from my aunt was a doll of Kiss drummer Peter Chris. My aunt used a Raggedy Ann pattern, but with black yarn for the hair, and made a Kiss costume just like Peter's. I still have the doll, and my daughter played with it when she was a toddler. That Christmas, I didn't change out of that jogging suit for three days. I would wake up in the big sofa bed, start playing with all the toys until bedtime, and then the next day I would get up and do it all over again. I hope everyone enjoyed my story, and I hope that you all have memories this year that are near the top of your list. You know, it's never too early to send a Christmas memory to appear in a show this season. I usually reserve them for the episodes that come out during the official Christmas season, but whenever you're feeling the Christmas spirit, go ahead and record a voice memo into your phone and send it to christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com. Just keep it reasonably short, clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Well, I hope that your January has been wonderful and that your February will be even better. I'll be back sometime next month for another visit. Until then, let me remind you as always that Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks so much to John in Seattle and to Julia George Alice. And thank you for listening. You can follow Julia on Instagram at Julia George Alice. You can visit her at juliageorgealice.co.uk and also her new website, theediblearchive.org. There's links to all of that in the show notes for this episode. You can find those on the app you're using right now to listen to this episode or over at christmaspast.media. And over there, I'm sharing Julia's recipe for spruce ice cream. Hey, you can drop me a line any time of year, and I wish you would because I love hearing from you and I try to respond to every message I get. I'm at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please do join the private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet, where we celebrate all year long. And just a reminder that no matter what time of year it is, I'll be happy to send you a Christmas card containing an official Christmas Past sticker. All you have to do is rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and then get in touch with a mailing address. Until we meet again, stay safe and healthy, look out for one another, and may your days be merry and bright.